welcome to another episode of Wrong Opinions Only with your host Justin and Kayla. Unfortunately, our moms are not here with the pod tonight, but I think everybody had a good time listening to last week's pod, right? This that was a complete hoop. Yeah, they're getting rave reviews. Our moms are doing great, and hopefully they don't replace us because people love them. And I, I don't you know, think they know how to run the software. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So I think we're good. But uh, yeah, we love our moms, and you guys love them too, and we love it. That's great. Yeah, great feedback so far. So we'll uh, see if we can get them back on at a later point since everybody seems to love just the banter we have back and forth with our mothers. Anyway... This week, we are talking about a lot of stuff. We're going Girl from Plainville, we're going Moon Knight, and we're going with the movie we saw last night, which is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's a handful to say. Absolutely. So we're going to tie up Moon Knight and the Girl from Plainville first. Of course, they both finished this week. Uh, We have four through six episodes for Moon Knight, and then six through eight that we're covering in this episode. So get ready. All right, let's do it up. Okay, so let's start with Moon Knight, which we'll be covering the overall series, but especially four and six, which we didn't cover in the last couple episodes. So overall series has now ended. What did you think about Moon Knight or your thoughts? I enjoyed the series in general, but I was a little underwhelmed in what I was hoping for. What? Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. and um, uh, what's his face who plays uh, Pharaoh, the other lead character there. I was hoping for something really like extra over the top and it was just fine. That's all yeah. I got. I was like, fine. You know, I also love Oscar Isaac. I love Layla, a fellow curly haired woman with a name that rhymes with Ayla. But yeah, I, I can't say that I liked it. Didn't love it. And it got better at the end. I got to say, like the later half of the episode, I felt like I appreciate Steven a little more. Still was my favorite. And when I thought he was going to be gone forever, I was a little excited. I appreciated his sacrifice because I just kind of found his accent annoying. And this is as someone who loves England, as you know. Yeah, I I did enjoy it once it started getting into more of the Indiana Mm Jones-ish like repertoire there. That made it more fun, and it wasn't just kind of dealing with Steven all the time, which, you know, he kind of sucks. But they did try to pull it all together there. I was a little thrown, I think it was in the penultimate episode, where they had the mental institution, Mm -hmm. like, visions, and then what's real, what's not real. They're going back into old memories, and I was just like, Holy crap, what's going on right now? I, I need to be uh, checked back into reality here. You know, and for all of the Buffy fans, it was similar to the episode Normal Again, when Buffy gets poisoned by a demon. And nobody makes here her think is that re- she's is how remembering Buffy that. stands rise. We rise like the vampires we're staking. We're out here. Okay. There's yeah. more of me. Oh, you want to make a cultural reference. So let's talk about an episode three that aired 20 fr- years three ago. Three of the people you hang out with the most are Buffy fans. Okay. So you know what? Put some respect on Buffy. As I was saying, when she thinks she's in a psych ward and has to kill her friends to defeat the, her mental illness, quote unquote, and go home. So I've been there, done that. As soon as I saw it, I go, I remember how this plays out. Also very Hunger Gamesy mm-hmm. when she's asking Katniss, real or not real, Peta, P- Peter? Did you, ever, did you see that movie? The Hunger Games? Yeah. Yeah, everybody saw that movie. It was Peta. Um, I doubted you a little bit, so that's good. I have the books right there. Oh, did you read them? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I have them. Um, yeah, so that component, all that to say it's a little overplayed, so I was a little like, okay, but apparently that is direct from the comics. There was a series of Moon Knight comics like a series that dealt with that. Like it's not real. And it's all kind of a fragment of his mind, which a lot of things are fragments of his mind. So, yeah. So it's, it's intentionally difficult to figure out what's the real story and what's right. kind of in his imagination. I think they kind of stayed on the whole measuring of the heart thing. And they were yes, with, uh, yes. I can't pronounce any of these Greek gods names, uh, unfortunately, but when they're on the ship and they're going and they're being judged and are they going to uh, be pushed off into what the duot or are they going to go into the uh, field of reeds? Do you have written down what the hippo's name was? Uh, was it Tawarit or something, some, like, something that, yeah. like that? She was a delight. I was like, Too yeah, much of I, she cracked me up. I yeah. mean, visually, it was a little jarring, like the CGI in that show with the hippo. But I thought she was great. And go Layla. Go Layla. For picking her. 
Yeah, that was a good choice by Layla. She kind of turned into... Uh, An avatar. Yeah, a Wonder Woman type vibe there with her gold-plated armor and her wings. And she made a good call by telling Khonshu, you know what, screw you, I don't care if we're going to die here. I'm, I'm not going to be like indentured into you. Smart move. And I don't hate this kind of mental throuple. You know, Disney, very uh, interesting. And I, I just, you know... As it finished, I just kind of thought, and in theory, I think Disney is kind of waiting to see the reception of this to see if he even figures into later series or films. I mean, do you see, I mean, when you're kind of looking at the landscape of Marvel right now, do you see a Moon Knight in it? Or are you kind of like, this is a one-off hero? It seems like a one-off, and that's what I was thinking majority of the series. But then when they throw in the scene at the end, like after the Mm -hmm. credits, where you finally figure out who the third kind of member of Mark and Steven is. And uh, it's like, are they going to throw that in there and kill off Harrow if it's not going to come back at a later point? I just don't understand. What was the guy's name? Jake Lockley was the final version where he's like the gangster in the car that shoots down Pharaoh at the end. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. So it's kind of revealed that throughout the series, he's the bad, he's, been the one killing and doing all this stuff and working truly as the avatar this for whole Khonshu. time, yeah. you know, um, for Khonshu. And, and so, uh, Oscar Isaac had another accent for the third guy. He did. Like, oh, He's a Spaniard, uh, which I appreciate more than the Steven accent. So I'm, I'm here for. Um, I, I liked it when they were two different physical entities. I did like that they could have that physicality than just like his eyes rolling in the back of the head. And I liked the them becoming more seamless. So I enjoyed the later half of the series when he just was bouncing between Steven and Mark, like Mm -hmm. effortlessly, like in seconds, because they were just this united pairing. That's more interesting to me as a hero than this war they were having for most of the series where it's like Mark is fighting for power and Steven's trying to go back. And I can see it way better knowing that they can just effortlessly go back and forth. But now there's this third Jake persona and who's to say Jake doesn't, you know, they don't, as far as we know, know that he's even a part of the gang. No, they're just like, what happened there when they actually uh, got Harrow down towards the end of the show and you know turned him in and didn't kill him? They were like, how the hell did that happen? Because they were almost down and out. And then yeah, they she's both about to blacked die out again. and woke up and was like, holy shit, what just went down? So that was kind of an interesting twist. It seems... Disney, you know, they'll they'll cut something, right, if it doesn't work. so They will, yeah. They're yeah. not afraid to say that we tried that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if they actually keep it going forward. I like the concept. It, you know, I'm a little probably jaded because I didn't know anything about the comic going mm-hmm. into it, so it was all new to me, so I was trying to kind of learn on the fly there. But what did you think about the fact that Steven is, was revealed to be like the fake version and mark was the real one who created steven that was a nice twist to me if i had to pick a favorite episode it probably was the episode where you got to fully see mark's story Mm -hmm. which was super sad uh when he's like his you know he finds out that his brother died when he was young and his mother became abusive and he left home and then when she dies and he, he kind of formulated the Steven character as a kid to kind of, as a, a version of himself where his mother loves him and they have this great relationship yep. to kind of hide himself in um, with the abuse. And then when his mom dies as an adult and he's going back to the funeral, he's so, he can't even enter. He's so emotional. And then Steven kind of comes out as this like old habit. And then they, he kind of struggles with Steven persona since then. That was so sad. I mean, I liked the back and forth. I liked Mark protecting Steven from some of the parts of his life that he literally created Steven so that Steven never knew, just had this one version of his mom. And when he kind of like becomes Steven as he's like crying in the street and Steven is just like, Oh, uh, what am I doing here? Mom, he's calling his mom. And he's like, I don't, it happened again. And knowing that there's no one on the other side of that phone just hit hard. I mean, I love that episode. That was interesting to me again. There's the Mark component. I just find Mark more compelling than Steven. Sorry, Steven. Yeah. Steven sucks. I mean, it's just just how it works. So I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, that was a great episode that really made me go, Oh, I'm interested in this character. 
and the future of it. Where he goes, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm kind of okay just him being in the standalone, to be honest. But maybe as other MCU movies come out, I'll see where he fits in. Yeah, so with this new phase, I assume they'll try to tie it into uh, some of these other characters because they are going for more of these offshoot characters, not as much of the the big-name stars like the Iron Man and the Thor that they started the whole MCU with. So that'll be pretty interesting. I did think uh, one kind of bone to pick, and this happens in every show, Mm -hmm. especially when there's like a little lover's quarrel there with Mark and Layla arguing about her father or something. Mm -hmm. They're sitting there arguing when they're trying to steal the the Amit statue, right, in uh, Alexander the Great's tomb. And they're just sitting there arguing with each other, knowing people are chasing yes, them with guns yes. and trying to get out. Guess what? Have that conversation another time. Save those serious conversations for not when you're running for your damn lives and trying to steal a priceless artifact. Oh, no. Come see, on. See, no. Give me that with the uber serious dramas. Don't give me that with this this Disney crap. That's just a staple in a Star Wars and a Harry Potter, you know... Hogwarts is getting taken over by Death Eaters and Ron and Hermione are making out. And Harry literally in the book is like, what are you guys doing? We're literally in the middle of a war. I mean, it's just hilarious, you know? Sometimes you just got to hash it out, kiss it out. Well, they didn't, though. They just yelled at Argued. each other yeah. and then he got sometimes shot you gotta, and listen, kind listen. of died. Sometimes you got some stuff to work out in the middle of craziness, okay? Only in superhero movies. Just saying. All right. Fair enough, Kayla. (laughs) Solid rebuttal on your end. Thank you. Thank you. So any uh, last thoughts on Moon Knight? I think we kind of covered our last final thoughts on it. Yeah, I I think we covered it all, and I'm just intrigued to see how it gets incorporated into the larger universe. Yes, and I'm excited to see what else Disney does as far as Marvel series, because they're pretty much nonstop. So let's see what happens. All right. Are you ready for... Well, I'm very curious how this is going to go. We're finishing up The Girl from Plainville, of course, a Hulu series, and we are specifically covering episodes six through eight, which also finished this week, but we're going to cover the series as a whole. Again, I'm going to ask, overall, how did you feel about the series? We, going into it, we're not huge fans of it. So at the end of it, did it change your mind or you feel the same? So going in, I was hesitant. It seemed sad. It did not seem like something I want to spend eight hours watching. A lot of good reviews, a lot of podcasts talking about how it was really well done, and I didn't like it. I wish I didn't watch it. Yes. I gained nothing from this. <laughs> okay, well, that that was as clear go. as clear could be. Um, so I actually waited until the series finished to watch the last three episodes we had to watch because I wasn't looking forward to watching it. I It almost was a chore where I was watching things I knew I wanted to watch for the week and then was like, okay, Kayla, you have to finish the show. To me, that says it all because we love TV and we were not looking forward to finishing this series up. And the final few episodes, I mean, like I said, I painfully crossed the finish line with this one and I applaud the actors. It was great acting. None of my faults with the show had to do with the acting of it. Because when it was bad, it was because the characters were intentionally supposed to make you uncomfortable, annoyed, upset. It's just not fun to. But this story is not a fun one to watch. You the know, content. It, it's a story to tell, maybe more as a documentary than a, a actual series. Which, you know, nowadays with all of these series that are based on real events that are slightly dramatized right. for effect, you you get into this uh, like what makes a good series like this was a story of its time it was a tragic story it like caught a lot of people's eyeballs and attention back when it happened i just didn't think it needed to be made into a series like have a documentary an hour or two breaking it down going into everything talking to the families but i i just i felt icky watching this whole thing i mean i cringed i mean blanket over the eyes it's just I didn't feel like the story added anything to my understanding of the crime of Michelle, of Conrad, of the lawyers. It didn't add any value to a story that unfortunately I feel like was huge when it happened and is dead silent now. Um, when I mentioned it to some people that I know, they're like, Oh yeah, I remember that story. So it's not like this has been a reoccurring story where you're like, I need to know, let's keep up with it. it. They kind of resurrected the story. And again, Probably because she got, she was released from jail right right before COVID hit. Right. Right. Which 
She gets out of jail after, what, a little less than a year? 15 months, yeah. Well, she was sentenced to 15 months. She only served 11 or 12. She gets out and then COVID hits and and probably just brought it back into the consciousness where people are like, oh, you know, now that this story has reached a conclusion, maybe we turn this into a show, but not for me. No, like I said, it was painful. And, you know, we talked about the idea or what they actually did was instead of having, because it was a primarily text relationship, um, all the way to the end, it was through text, not yeah. in person. They only met up a handful of times. The And instead, the show decided to have the actors actually look like they're in a room talking instead of just, you know, who wants to stare at someone texting on a phone for a whole episode? I understand why they did it, especially, you know, they got named actors in the roles. You want to show that dynamic. It definitely made it more painful in the darker elements where they're actually actively talking about suicide She's actively, her, her tone is changing of, you know, well, actually talking about having him do it, you know, telling him to do it, all that definitely totally made it more sinister because she's saying it to his face. He's, you know, emotional to her face when in reality it was through the phone, which adds a barrier, right? Yeah. I was against that at the beginning. I do get Mm -hmm. that, you know, showing text messages, which is how we operate now in society, on an actual series or TV show or movie is difficult to do. People have been trying to figure out the best way to show it. I was apprehensive, but these last few episodes, I mm-hmm. turned around on it because what you said, it made it so heavy and it made the stakes so much higher when it's it looks like they're sitting there talking to each other, knowing that it's just text messages, but it gives the opportunity for them to play off of each other and see the real emotion on their faces as opposed to her sitting in her room and just texting her friends, oh, he's not here while texting him, hey, why don't you do it already? You know, it adds an extra level to that, which I think was necessary to drive the point home about how really sinister, like you said, this act was. Yes, because someone can write you really terrible things in a text, and it's not going to be as bad as if they said it to your face, even if they're reading it verbatim. And because someone's actually looking you in the eyes and saying these hateful things. And so there is a level barrier of like, is it that bad when it's through text? Because there's that disconnect. You're just reading words, right? It's how you interpret it. But when she's, you know, at the end, which is a scene I want to talk about when she's, they're trying to show Michelle as if she's having this kind of moment where she wishes she could go back in time when he got out of the truck and was calling her mid kind of his suicide attempt to try to say like, he didn't want to do it. He was scared. And you know, the lawyers present that there was a phone call. They can't tell what was being said, but she basically, and then through text was like, get back in the car. You said you'd do it and convinced him once again to do it. So he got back in the car and ultimately killed himself. I believe there was no direct text from her to him getting back Mm. into the car. Right. It was, she texted her friend telling her that's right i told him to get back in the car and that's what killed her so who knows what really happened clearly there are a lot of text messages showing that she was promoting him to do this yeah but that specific thing very well could have been her trying to get sympathy or trying to get attention from her friends in a weird way as we saw she wasn't mentally there she had a lot of issues and they were both on different types of medication yeah. uh, for their different ailments. And, you know, and to be fair, the show didn't try to make up words that she told him. It just kind of shows him listening on the phone and talking wordlessly. Yep. So you can't tell what's being said. But it's just, I don't know what the show is trying to make us feel. Is it presenting a truly neutral portrait of what happened? Well, then in that case, I can read the articles I can watch the footage. So what is this show ultimately telling? Is it trying to give me a side of Michelle? Because I didn't see, you know, they didn't add much to why she did what she did. And if she even felt any real remorse or maybe mm-hmm. were led to believe she didn't, again, that's all assumption. It's just a crazy story. Again, I don't think this show needed to be made just like you said. It was way too long for what it was, but it also wasn't long enough if they wanted us to develop kind of a connection with these characters because I didn't really get the sympathy for Michelle. Nope. Uh, you had her friends or her quote-unquote friends not really being her friends. I thought they were going to go more into 
her relationship with them and why she was seeking their approval. But that kind of just stopped cold like a few episodes in. There was her relationship with that Susie girl where they kind of had a romantic type of relationship that got cut off. They never revisited that. And then you have these actors playing the attorneys and the cops and the investigators that are pretty well-known actors, and they didn't give them a lot of screen time and really get into the weeds of the case. Like, I was hoping at least the last couple episodes were going to be like, okay, this is how yes. they went into the case. This is how the uh, defense attorney thought he was going to get a, you know, get her um, off without being convicted. This is why the prosecutors thought it was a good idea to go this route. I wanted to get more into the nitty-gritty on the case details, and they were very clearly not trying to turn it into a courtroom drama, but I think it would have been better if they got gave us more detail on that. Yes, because it was kind of a big case as far as them actually pursuing it and what they had, and they felt confident that they would end up winning. And so, yeah, they didn't... Again, they focus a lot on the relationship between the two, which is obviously the heart of the show. Can we talk about Teenage Dirtbag, that scene, when the choir is singing to Michelle, a choir version of Teenage Dirtbag, oh, the yeah. song? <laughs> they have these musical elements in the show that so weird to me. are so distracting. Now, I'm not going to lie. that was a, I was kind of jamming at the song, <laughs> but it just seems so out of place in the series that was taking itself so seriously. Well, the reason they're in there is because of her obsession with Glee, right? Yes, yeah. So, and she was watching an episode of Glee where the main character was talking about how her boyfriend committed suicide as she was texting him to like go through with it. So, it's like the meta, meta of... Yeah. of TV watching. It's just, just some of that was just so jarring to me. And I, yeah. What Didn't did you think it. about the sequence where it was the alternate reality? If she didn't like meet him or didn't tell him to get back in the car and he didn't kill himself, she goes to UC Irvine for college, graduates, comes home, and they didn't give you any warning. It just kind of cut to that. And I was like, wait, huh? Did she get out right. and go to? college no this has to be like an alternative reality and i was sitting there for a minute until when she got home and everything looked handy dandy i was like okay well this is clearly a different uh, Listen, situation ella fanning kind of played it a little sociopathic and maybe that's true to how michelle actually mm -hmm. was like in that when she was describing her relationship with that girl Susie and the um slightly queer tones and yeah. it didn't feel like it just felt like everything was a game and that even her expressing her feelings on that didn't feel real. Like she said it with no real emotion that I felt like that was true. It felt like she could just as easily if the story needed to be said and she needed to go the opposite way, she could. And maybe that's the case. I mean, I don't know about you, but I definitely knew people in high school that would say outrageous lies that just like for attention. Like oh, yeah. I, I, I knew those people Everyone knew that they would make up some crazy personal story that's tragic and it wasn't true. And for the attention, so like I understood that part of the story they were trying to tell this girl that won all these attention. But again, it didn't add any value to the story. I think it's just as bad as I thought when it came out and happened. And I, I don't think I'm better for watching this show. I mean, yeah. great, again, accolades to the cast, but I just didn't love it. Yeah, Chloe uh, Savigny crushed I it. Al Fanning was great. It was a very good cast. I just, you know, it's it's tough on what they're working with there. I would have liked to have a little bit more with the younger siblings because it has to be absolutely brutal to be either Conrad Roy Coco's younger sisters and also Michelle Carter's younger sister who right. now has to go through, you know, her years in high school and middle school and college with everybody knowing or you know if they right. google her they can find out that her sister went to jail for you know was it manslaughter third degree or whatever yeah. the actual yep. charge was for you know assisting this kid in committing suicide and that's just going to kind of be something that holds over her entire family's heads for the rest of time which is what they kind of hinted at when she went to get her hair done at the end after she right. came out. And then she's like, okay, I'm finally feeling normal type. And there was a, you know, a tabloid on the thing that showed her getting out and said, Oh, mm -hmm. she's out now. And the stylist just kind of froze and was like, Oh, and then everybody realized she saw it. And then it, 
it was just like, hey, this is something you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life now because of what you did when you were, what, 17 years right, old. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I just, you know, interesting, you know, visually interesting components of how they were able to tell that story with, like I said, a primarily texting relationship and tragedy. Yeah. But I definitely am sad. I was sad watching it throughout. So it was hard to watch, definitely, at a lot of parts. And you know what? Elle Fanning is in, I don't know if you know, an exciting movie coming out. I, I don't even think they started filming yet. Um, with her sister, Dakota. I saw yeah. or read something about that, yeah. Yeah, The Nightingale. I think it's a World War II drama. But, uh, yeah. just they're, They'll go on and do better stuff, I'm sure. Hopefully less depressing. But, yeah, that's kind of my just last Just watch thoughts. The Great. That's not depressing. <laughs> okay, Fanning's just watch great. The Great. There you go. Cheer yourself up after watching The Girl from Plainville. That's for sure. So... I think that's a wrap on our TV talk. I think it's time to go to the movies. All right. So we're going to be talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Of course, an A24 film, which I Taylor's love. Taylor's favorite. Yep. Yes. Who directed it? Well, the same people who directed it also wrote it. And it's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schneider who the year came out was March 25th, 2022. So recent. Notable stars, you have Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Su, Kihi Kwan, James Hong, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jenny Slate, and Harry Shum Jr. Speaking of Glee. Uh, box office gross and budget had a budget of $17 million. Box office gross is... Is that right? I don't right? think that's right. That I can't think be it's right. like $20 million or something like that. So I'll look it up as you keep they talking, They definitely Kayla. made their money, but again, this movie just came out, so they're still adding up the totals. I'm still out in theaters, only in theaters right now. Currently a Rotten Tomato score of 97%, so definitely a high-rated film. Um... What did we think or know about the film going in? I can start. So I really stayed away from reviews, articles, podcasts that talked about it because I understood the basic concept of like a sci-fi film that was kind of out there humor-wise. Like I knew there was comedic elements. Mm -hmm. But I I really want to experience it because I felt like if I heard about it, I might get you know, because it was, I knew it to be an out there film. I was like, I don't want to get dissuaded or get talked out of it in my head. So I went into it pretty much blind. I didn't even realize that the director's writers also did Swiss Army Man, which, do you know that film, Justin? Never seen it, no. Okay. So the concept is that Paul Dano's character is someone who's stuck on an island and surviving, rough shape, and a dead body, played by Daniel Radcliffe, floats on the island, and they become best friends. And they, like, hang out. The dead body. The dead body, yes. So Daniel Radcliffe just played... A weekend birdie situation. Correct, correct. Which I remember okay. seeing the trailer for that and being like, there's no way in hell I will see that movie. And you know what? After watching this movie, maybe I could, maybe I'll try it, even though it still seems crazy. And that tells you how crazy this film that we went to see was. And it made about $40 million. $40 million, yeah. And still yep. counting. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I thought makes total sense, like I said, after watching the film that they did that one too. What did you think going in? I did not have a lot of context going in. I mm -hmm. saw the trailer. I knew it was kind of, uh, you know, multiversey where she could tap into versions of herself that she mm -hmm. doesn't know, the main character. And that is about all I knew. Yes. Okay. I knew nothing else. And I was like, this looks a little ridiculous. Kayla asked me to go. I was yep. like, let's do it. And I... Pretty early on, I was like, what the hell is happening in this movie? Honestly, you have like 10 to 15 minutes of like a very clear narrative where you're following it like this opens up like all the movies I've seen before. And then you just have to go along for the ride because the craziest shit happens on the screen. It, yeah, it was absolutely insane. It was fun to watch in a theater with other people because there are points where everybody's laughing or everybody's like, what the hell are just off their rockers the whole time? It kept you on your toes, that's for sure. I, I, I tried to even write this, and I'm probably going to still butcher <laughs> it, a loose central plot to kind of give an understanding of oh, the taxes film. taxes and laundry. Yes, taxes and laundry, yes. So it's like a woman's going through a tax audit for her laundry business she shares with her husband. And she has this kind of tumultuous relationship with her daughter. 
as well as her father, who cast her away when she left home to marry her husband. Her relationship with her husband is like, he's just meek and mild and just not the guy that she ultimately thought she was going to be with. Her life, you know, is not doing well. She just feels like a failure. And then during her visit to the IRS, she's confronted by someone from another universe and giving, given an opportunity to save the world by expanding her mind to the multiverse. And listen, this is the summer of multiverses. we got Doctor Strange coming out soon in a couple of weeks as well. It also had some Inception kind of tendencies. Absolutely. Yeah. The second layer, like you said, is extremely comedic. There's a lot of sight gags. Truly, truly outrageous moments. And at some parts... Kind of confusing? Were you confused at all? Was I, I was confused 97% <laughs> of the movie, Kayla. It moves so quick. Like, they, they'll, they'll spend time on the gag, the humor, and then they're going to go to emotional. Then they're going to go to... If you're not following kind of the sci, the loose science of it, there are parts where I'm like, what is happening? Oh, is that a random butt plug over there? Yes. Okay, now let's get back to the serious relationship between her and her daughter. Okay, let's go. Over. I'm like, what is happening? It kind of gave me, you know, I've heard some comparisons. Of to me, this film stands alone. But, you know, some people had some similarities to a couple different films. I thought of Kill Bill in the yep. referential work of other films. That I thought was about so, that while I was watching it. Yes. Too. Yeah. And like truly willing to spend a long time on one gag, like on one bit. Tarantino would spend a lot of time just to do it because he could. And I feel like that was this film's willingness to just keep doubling down. Raccoon, I mean. That was ridiculous. Oh, there were, I mean, I laughed. I mean, so much of the film, I was just smiling. Like, I was just smiling through it because it was so absurd and yet like a good story and yet totally unpredictable for most of it that I just enjoyed like, a movie that is to me unlike many films, like most of the films I've seen. I loved when there were, I mean, it had to be half a dozen points in the film where people, everybody in the audience was just like audibly gasping or being mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, oh no, oh, yes. you know, and you're like, oh, what is going on right now? It, and, you know, when we left that, the movie, I looked at you, I was like, how does this get made? How do you pitch this movie in a coherent way where a studio is like, you know what? Yes, let's do that. It, uh, that's brave people that made this movie and props to them because it was it was fun to watch. Well, you know, I love to give my A24 yeah. props. Um, you know, they're willing to take a chance on some of these just wild movies and it pays off because everyone's talking about this movie. And, you know, obviously one of the biggest themes about the film is nihilism, pretty much, right? The belief mm -hmm. that life is meaningless. And I can... Not, I'm not totally nihilistic, but lately with the world and what's going on <laughs> lately, I'm feeling pretty Debbie, Debbie Downer about the state of things. And so when they're touching on that throughout the film, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it. Yep. Bagel of everything. I'm with you there. The everything bagel yes. gets really explored in this movie. Oh, yes. And if you love an everything say. bagel, it's in the film. Um, you know, and so with everything going on in the world, like I said, I don't think I've ever been so overwhelmed by just like tragedy, helplessness. And that's what the movie did. And then, you know, had a dildo fight. So, you know, <laughs> that's, I just, cause when you ask, how do they pitch this film? I in turn go, how would I describe this film to people yeah. and who in my life would watch this? Because I couldn't really describe it to anyone. Yeah, so it's great podcasting when we're saying we, we don't know how to say what happened, but it was something. Jamie Lee Curtis at one point's like jumping off and doing martial arts moves from like second stories. And you're like, what the? I, I love people that can play around with physicality. And Jamie Lee Curtis is such She's great. a physical mm -hmm. comedian. And the way she just like is representing this IRS, you know, she's got like her stomachs protruding. She's like looking her glasses, her like stuffy sweater, like just the absolute picturesque IRS employee, which you'd think of. Doesn't your dad work at the IRS? He did used to work at the IRS. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And he too <laughs> looked picturesque at the time. And, uh, it's just, it, it just was so more and more. I find myself just enjoying things that are so out of the box because I am so like, this is what I like in films. This is what I don't like. And I was just so open to this movie because I didn't know what it was going to be about. And it just delighted me. I love, it just was so different from anything I ever saw that I was appreciated a ton, mm -hmm. just, you know, cinematically. 
And uh, the only thing I'll say, like, I wish I saw a little more of the daughter, Joy. We see her as, like, this evil villain in this multiverse version of her. She's, like, the evil villain. So uh, Michelle Yeoh's character is trying to save her throughout the film. I loved her performance, the person who played Joy. Good. And Michelle Yeoh as well. Like, oh, yeah, she the, I mean, to play this role, like, you're playing like a serious drama and then you're playing absolute absurdity. Uh, so, and she did it great. Like, I was with her every step of the way. And, you know, listeners, you know that if something makes me cry, it definitely goes up in my esteem. And I'm not going to lie, there was a moment in the film where I was tearing up. I was like, is this kind of silly stupid movie in several parts actually making me feel feelings and it did it really did and i will say hopefully without ruining too much that one of my favorite scenes and it was hilarious and it makes no sense the rock scenes and everybody in the theater loved them i don't want to ruin it in case you guys watch it but if you're interested and you aren't ever going to watch this movie just youtube the rock scenes from this movie. It, it was just so funny. The rock scenes were honestly the highlight of the movie for me because it was so just kind of crazy. Um, Googly eyes. Yeah, I'm going to show Justin a shirt I ended up buying too, by the way, today. Oh my gosh, let me check this <laughs> from out. From the movie. <laughs> that is um, but just truly, like, they just were so silly. I mean, it's... And I'm not one who is kind of like a sight gag, like, I don't know how I would phrase this type of humor. Uh, Let's just go silent. Um, like. You don't want to say stupid humor. Yeah. You're trying to avoid saying yeah, stupid humor, like, but you, you think You know, it, yeah. like, uh, super bad. Like, I never really, like, for some, and I love comedy. I just, that humor never really, like, potty humor, like, that humor never really made me laugh. Uh, but this movie was had smart humor and wasn't afraid to have really dumb humor, and they did it well. A couple of the gags I think were a little overdone. Uh, one of the universes, one of the universes in particular, the yeah, the hot the, dog fingers. Yeah, the hot dog fingers. There, was, there's a multiverse. In case you guys are wondering, where uh, fingers are hot dogs. And so you're not able to consistently hold anything because your fingers move as hot dogs. And so people are just well adapted to use their feet. That was ridiculous. And they went back to that well a little too much in my opinion. But (laughs) it's just, it's jarring to see people have hot dog fingers. I'm just saying. It's not great. Not great. Um, Yeah, just, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like smiling just thinking (laughs) about the film, but it's just, it's also a struggle just to fully paint a picture of what it was about. If you're open-minded and you're kind of into just seeing different type of films being made as far as like what what is a good film because it's not always just a narrative. You're just having these kind of crazy scenes where you're like, what is happening? If you're stuffy, don't go see this movie. But if you're open to having a good time and just enjoying just the zaniness of this comedy, like please go see it because yep. I think it's, it has a great story in it for something that has so many silly, silly moments. It has a really sincere, um, you know, note about life and death and the relationships between and appreciating you know, what you yes, have and, and not, family. And yep. it, it, it's so important with family and, and how maybe that exists in every type of multiverse that the people you surround yourself with. And like I said, it got me emotional. So it touched on something with me. And I think, yeah, it just was a great film and all-star cast, really. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, highly recommend checking it out. Um, I am glad that we saw that on a $5 movie night and yes. didn't pay the full, like, 26 or whatever it is for the two of us. But check it out, folks. If you're in the Syracuse, New York area, Movie Tavern. $5 yes, Movie Tuesdays. Tavern is our spot. Do it Free up. popcorn if you didn't know. Now you know. I didn't know, so I bought a big old thing of popcorn, and then Kayla's like, oh, I got our free popcorn. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, so I had to, like, really work for it, but I was able to get it. Um, well, that seems ominous, but I just had to ask and wait, but... <laughs> yeah, I had <laughs> to really work the for it. I, Sorry, I, I had to go, I, can I have my popcorn? Oh, yeah, I didn't take my top off or anything, so... <laughs> um, there's no butt on the popcorn, so... Uh, anyways, what are you going to give it for your VHS rating? You know, it's a tough one. Um... Because it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. It had a good, 
you know, kind of plot line throughout. But it wasn't something that I like. I can't. It's tough to remember it's specific not a traditional things. Movie. It's, it's not hard traditional. To, yeah. I got to go four out of six VHS. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give it five out of six. Wow. Okay. And I don't know if it's a rewatchable yet. I feel like it has to be to maybe get a better understanding. I can't picture myself going to see it again, but maybe with your wife because I do want to know what she thinks about it. If you were on drugs and you watched this movie, I don't even know what would happen. I, you'd have a completely different picture of the film, yeah. I think, because you just you're just not meant to be when you watch <laughs> it because it's so bizarre. Um, yeah, I just. I loved it. I just thought it was, you know, there was a part in the movie where I'm like, okay, where is this going? Like, okay, something's got to happen here. But throughout, I was just smiling. I just truly left it going money well spent. Would it have been mad if I paid full price for it? It just was Mm -hmm. a really silly, funny movie and creative, just creative as hell. This is, I think, only their second movie that they've done. I think Swiss Army Man was their first film. Oh, wow, really? So that's major. How long ago did that come out, Swiss Army Man? It was it was at least like five or six years, I want to say. So I think they spent a lot of time. I and mean, there's a lot of odes to other films in this film, which is why we said that it kind of reminded us of Kill Bill, a lot of odes to films, kung fu, all types of stuff, which if you have Michelle Yeoh, you better have some physical action and martial arts. Mm-hmm. Hello. So I just think... Yeah, I just think the world of Michelle Yeoh, too, she's definitely in the spotlight right now. A lot of people are talking about her, um, and it's so well-deserved, and I hope she's in future films. And I do know that uh, Kihi Huan did say that he, you know, he was in uh, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, he's in The Goonies. I've never seen The Goonies. God damn it, I know, Kayla. I'm sorry. Every week I learn about a new movie you haven't Temple seen. Temple of Doom is my favorite Indiana Jones film, though. But he played a lot of stereotypical Asian characters, mm-hmm. definitely characters that people would make jokes about. And he got out of acting, started being on the other side of the camera. And it was Crazy Rich Asians that I think he saw and realized, like, hey, I... the You know, situations have changed. We're in films now, like, in actual roles. And yep. so... I heard that he went back into auditioning and got this like a couple weeks later. Got this oh, movie. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's a really great story. And I hope he'll be in a lot of things because he was an emer- emotional turning point in the film. So, yeah. I loved it. Five out of six VHS tapes for me. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I really have to add to everything, everywhere, all at once. Is it time for us to get into our Swarly of the Week? Oh, it's time. Let's go. All right, so my Swarly of the Week this week is going to be quick, but it's someone else at my workplace, so I got to think of a name, name for this person. Um, let's call them... Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> so, Christopher works in IT, and Christopher's kind of known as the person that you don't want to help you with anything with computers, because if Christopher tries to fix something, 12 other things are going to break. So he's kind of a last resort. It doesn't sound like a great IT person to have. Oh, well, you know. So everyone's got one of those, you know. So Christopher, he, uh, I needed to, I'm looking for some new training videos for our company. So I was trying to go on YouTube and it was blocked. So I had to put in a IT ticket to say, hey, I need this for XYZ. Christopher called me on the phone and he goes, hey, Kayla, we received your ticket. Um, just so you know, me and... Todd, if you need a YouTube video, we'll actually download it for you and put it in a folder, you know, shared folder. That's so much extra pointless oh, work. Hold on. Yeah, exactly. So what they'll do is he's like, don't worry about it. We'll download the video for you, put it in a folder, and then you can have access to it and, you know, share it, do whatever you want to do. So I'm listening to him and I go, in my head, I go, how do I? So he's like, that's how we'll get it for you. So I kind of wait a beat and I go, how do I say this nicely? And I go, what was this, Tillifer? Christopher. <laughs> Christopher. I go, Christopher, how am I going to tell you what video to get if I can't go on YouTube to look at videos? And Christopher just literally pauses for a couple of seconds <laughs> and goes, that's a good point. I'll call you back. And then fixes it so I have access to YouTube. So he did not think at all that I would need to be able to go on YouTube to see the videos to even tell him what I want downloaded. Didn't cross his mind. 
Swarly. Swarly of the week. Yeah, Swarly of the week. Yep. All right. What do you got? So my Swarly of the week's a little different this week since we are recording on May the 4th. So May the 4th yes. be with you. And also with you. And Kayla's rocking her Star Wars uh, sweater here today. Mm-hmm. So something uh, Star Wars theme that I came across today in one of the newsletters I read. And it went into... I just I found this interesting. I don't know if anybody else will. But a few years ago, an assistant professor at Washington University dug into the empire or the galactic empire's economy following the destruction of the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. So they're like, how the hell does this economy function after they spend so much money on this Death Star? Right. He uh, he looked into it. He said the second Death Star probably cost about four hundred and nineteen quintillion dollars. Okay, yep. so, checks out. Checks out. So that's a lot. Um, and then if it got destroyed, it would have led to a massive depression. Um, and for with the it bad be- guys, <laughs> yeah, for the bad guys, and with it being destroyed, the Rebel Alliance would have had to basically bail out. The Galactic Empire in order to prevent an overall economic collapse. This guy's a lot of time on his hands. Right? That's probably why he's an assistant professor, not an actual professor. <laughs> and then who maybe Charlie. too many shots. And uh, and then he noted, well, really, episode seven came out 30 years after the second Death Star was destroyed, which would be about the amount of time you would need for the typical economic recovery for such a depression. So, Star Wars is uh, it's following all the rules of economics, apparently. Oh, wow. Okay, good to know space still tracks. $419 quintillion. I'd love I don't even to know see how it. many zeros that is, honestly. I don't know, but I'd love to see it physically. I'd love to see it. Give it to me. It'll just give, give you all the monies. Yes, what a great uh, amount to say. So, yeah, that's pretty swarlyific, I guess. Yeah, like I said, I thought it was more just kind of a fun. It goes with uh, May the 4th be with you. And Swarley's a Star Wars fan, so, you know, a loose tie-in. That's true. And you know what? That's pretty... Nothing's more Swarley than creating one area in a Death Star that can get it collapsed. Here's the one spot yes. where if you shoot it, that every this $419 quintillion blows up Yeah, so that I think that's about as Swarley as you could think of. So, Fitz, checks out. Perfect. All right, so let's get to our friendship question of the week, which is... What book has impacted you the most? You want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, okay. Let me just put on my nerdy hat. Oh, oh, wait, I'm always wearing it. Okay. In college, I took an intensive creative writing class. Already so it was bored. like, wow, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> 12 students, and we read a book called Blood and Guts in High School by Kathy Acker. It was a very controversial book. It was very, like, metafictional. It had a lot of dark, hard-to-read topics, sexually detailed drawings, dream maps, nonlinear writing where you're like, whose voice is this? What's happening? It wasn't the easiest read. It was like basically an anti-narrative. And Acker even admitted to plagiarizing parts of it. Like that's how kind of controversial this book was. My class hated it. They hated it. But you loved it. I loved it. I loved it because I had no clue that a book could be so opposite of everything I thought a book should be, as in something that you want a reader to be able to read, understand, and enjoy. This book felt like aggressive. Like I felt like the author wanted you to hate this. And I didn't know you could write a story like that, let alone publish it and have people read it. You know? How many copies did she sell? Yeah, that was was her like, yeah, that was her most popular book that she did. And you know, the topics of it were confusing, the lack of narrative, but I just didn't know that writing could be that way because I was so used to traditional books with beginnings and ends, whether that's textbooks or fiction, nonfiction, et cetera. And it just, yeah, it just blew my mind. And I probably was the only one in class that was like listening to everyone just rant about it. And I'm like, actually, I thought it was amazing. Books can be written that way. I don't recommend uh, nowadays if you want your books to be sold, but I just was amazed. And so that really impacted me as far as books that, you know, have no limits, really. All right. That's a solid one, mm-hmm. Kayla. How about you? Uh, for me, as you know, I'm just such an avid oh, reader, yes, yeah. yes, I, as everybody is aware I read a lot of sports and finance books, and that's uh, that's about it. And by Born a lot, already. by a lot, I mean a couple. Um, but the one that has impacted me the most, yeah, I would probably say *Liars Poker* by Michael Lewis, okay. which was his first book, and it's about 
his time uh, outside of uh, college, getting into the finance world at, at Solomon Brothers, and he kind of fell into the job because he sat next to somebody whose husband worked high up at Solomon Brothers, a big um, investment trading desk, and he worked in the, I believe, the bonds department. And he just wrote about his life there and basically how it's all bullshit, but you just fake it until you make it. And he was making tons of money and had t- such great stories. And he's such kind of a fun writer where it doesn't seem like you're reading like a textbook or you're reading. It, it's very conversational. Right, right. You know what I mean? And yep. that was the first time I was like, you know what? I can actually read about this finance stuff in a fun way where I'm still learning and taking stuff in, but I still want to keep going. And I'm not just like, oh, do I really need to keep reading this? So I think uh, reading that book at the beginning of the pandemic really kind of um, accelerated me wanting to read the other books that I've started to read since then, including uh, Random Walk Down Wall Street. That is just like a 500-page book about um, the market and the economy over the last few hundred years and all the bubbles and whatnot. And it gave me a very good baseline to really start being more diligent about my personal investing and long-term prospects. And that's stuff that I still use for my personal portfolios now. So it's definitely, uh, I think, impacted impacted me positively. So I know it's not as fun, but... Yeah, yeah. you know, we're very similar in so many things, but we probably couldn't be any more different in our reading choices. But, you know, we have to have some differences. So so checks out. And I didn't want to say the D&D Player's Handbook. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's up there, though. Um, All right, so I think that kind of wraps it up for us this week. Please let us know your thoughts if you finished Moon Knight or The Girl from Plainville. And if you haven't seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, please do go see it and let us know. And we'll see you next week. Well, that's it for this episode of Wrong Opinions Only. Please follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes. Until then, JK out.